All right, welcome back and uh, welcome everybody to another episode of the 306 Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, we're here recording uh, kind of a little bit different. We recorded uh, two episodes all together here, a little bit of a sneak peek, I guess, for you folks at home. Uh, but we had a special guest on to talk about his newly published book. Uh, so that's going to be the topic of our episode number 55, uh, which was what you were listening to today. Um, and then we're going to be dropping a couple of days following, we're going to be dropping episode number 56, uh, which is what we're going to be looking at a little bit of this or that, uh, a little bit ADP uh, pairings and discussing that. But Noah is also going to be back with us on that one as well, too. So uh, it's going to be a two-parter. Uh, so you're going to want to be able to check out episode 55, obviously, today. And then uh, stay tuned for in a couple of days here. Episode 56 is going to be dropping as well, too. So without further ado, um, we might as well, I uh, guess, send it to our uh, segment of the day, uh, the episode, which is going to be our interview with Noah. So uh, thank you very, very much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the interview. All right. So we kind of hinted at this one a little bit uh, on our last episode there on 54, but uh, we're going to we're going to recommend a little bit of light reading here and uh, we're going to welcome our special guest for a two part episode here. Uh, we got Noah Lieberman from Winnipeg. Uh, he is a newly published author for writing the book. If you think, you know, fantasy football, think again. And it officially dropped in July. So he gave us a little bit of a sneak peek copy here. Uh, the last little bit and it was actually a it was an awesome read but uh we'd like to welcome noah to the 306 fantasy football podcast noah how's it going today it's good hey thank you very much for having me on uh so maybe maybe we'll start this off by if you want to maybe just introduce yourself a little bit a little bit about your fantasy football background and then maybe if you just kind of uh, just a little brief summation about uh about your book before we start diving into some uh, some questions yeah, absolutely. Uh, so as you mentioned, uh, from Winnipeg, born and raised. Um, I just graduated from university about two, three months ago, um, so that I had this book kind of ready to go publish it after I'd graduate. Um, been playing fantasy sports, fantasy football for oh, probably about 10 years, uh, since I was maybe about 12 or 13 years old. Um, right now I'm playing on Yahoo and NFL.com. Those are my, my two favorites, especially Yahoo. I think that one, that one's the best. Um, this book, I actually have it uh, right here to the side. Um, you can get it now uh, available on Amazon and at select uh, bookstores in Winnipeg. Um, it's all about um, the behind the scenes of fantasy sports, of fantasy football. Um, it's about the philosophy of it, the psychology of it. And it answers really some of the biggest questions that I thought weren't really being talked about, but really actually did need to be discussed. So it's kind of things like, um, is it really healthy competition? You know, what are the social dilemmas? Um, how can we play while avoiding confrontation? Um, is it gambling? Is it not gambling? What kind of gambling is it? So um, yeah, some of these questions and uh, I try to put as much humor in it as I can make it a light read, as you mentioned. So I uh, wanted you guys to enjoy the book and yeah, um, hopefully you guys liked it. Uh, first of all, congratulations, Noah, on graduating in June or whenever you graduated. Um, I guess my first question would be, was this part of <clears throat> any coursework that you had while you were going to school or was this uh, entirely separate from your, your university studies? Uh, yeah, so this was entirely separate. Um, basically, like one of my semesters ended in about mid-December and that kind of coincides with right when fantasy season is ending. And I felt that this book kind of needed to be written and I kind of got the passion for it as the 2020 season was winding down. So right after my last exam, I think my last exam was only like the 17th or something. I started writing on it right after and I wrote um, for basically just a couple months straight on the first draft, um, which took me back into school. But just kind of found the, the time to balance it and um, make sure that I could still work on the book while at least keeping a decent average on the grades and on school, you know, good, good enough to pass that kind of thing. So um, yeah, but it was entirely separate. It's been a, it's been a handful of years since obviously we've been at university, but I know Zach, you're doing some, some post degree classes. I'm working my master's right now and I can't find enough time to even just yeah. 
let alone look into some dynasty trades or whatever else I want to do some days when I'm doing these papers. So well done for you to be able to balance both those. Cause that's uh, that's quite a workload of not only writing the book, but obviously making sure you're successfully past university. So good. So good for you. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, twice in the book, Noah, you mentioned that you don't have a university degree in fantasy football. Uh, let's pretend for a second here that you were about to teach a 100 level university course on fantasy football, would the book serve as your roadmap or would you focus on an other specific topics in your 100 level class? Okay, first of all, that would be the absolute dream. If any, if any university is looking for a professor in fantasy football, I'd absolutely love to teach it. I'll put myself first on the docket right there. Um, I think that this book would serve really well as a little bit of a roadmap but also more of like in the second half of the year. Like if it was like a full year course, I think that this would be like almost like the second half because I think that it's important to have some type of introduction to fantasy sports. And, and I do that uh, a bit at the beginning, I explain it. But the target of the book is more for people who have at least some experience in fantasy sports. Um, so if you have some, then I think it's, it is the perfect book for you. Uh, I've actually, I've had a couple of people read it who have never never played fantasy football, never played anything like that in their life. And they still seem to follow along and enjoy it at least. But uh, I think that for a university course, uh, it would serve as a really good kind of like uh, depth, kind of like understanding of like the behind the scenes of it. Um, so after we, we went through everything that needed to be gone through to actually understand what fantasy football is, uh, it would serve as a good, as a good textbook after that, you could say. Excellent. I really liked how it was laid out. You kind of talked about that a little bit on how, if, like you said, if you know zero things to know about fantasy football, those first two chapters would be really enlightening to you. And, and I feel like just by those two chapters, if, if I'd never played fantasy football, I could step into that season. I feel like I'd be pretty successful. I know you do go into a little bit of, uh, you know, we talked about some of the strategies going into it. You know, the, I think you mentioned about you're stacking your cues and your wideouts. Uh, on the same team. And I know you talked about maybe some people there's you've seen where they stack their cues versus the uh, versus the DSTs just to try and like hedge your bets a little bit. Um, so I know you do talk a little bit strategy. So I think it would be very beneficial for even a beginner fantasy football player to, to maybe be going into this book and then obviously elaborating as the book goes on. So I, I do think the book was laid out well, but mentioning there about the cues and the wide receiver stacks and the hedging and stuff like that, is there any specific, uh, strategies that maybe you like or or maybe is your favorite when you're going into uh the draft season uh yeah my favorite always and it, it's always going to depend on how the draft goes because certain guys are going to get taken and you kind of had them in mind and certain guys are going to reach when you thought you could have got them at a certain spot but my my favorite is if i'm going to take a top receiver early on like this year let's say i'm going to take a jamar chase or I'm going to take a, even a Justin Jefferson, because I, I think Cousins could have a pretty decent year if you're really going to wait on your quarterback. Um, uh, taking the quarterback later, if you're going to take an elite receiver, I think is a pretty good strategy. Um, Corlin Sutton or Jerry Judy this year, if you can get Russell Wilson later, I think that's a pretty good stack too. So uh, I would say the quarterback and the wide receiver, to me at least, is my strategy to go with. Um, the, the hedging the bets, I will sometimes use but i like to use it a lot when the other team has just like elite players and then you could hopefully try to just take away some of the damage right like if they're if they're starting like justin herbert for example and you see that like josh palmer is, is a free agent maybe it makes sense to go after josh palmer for that week right because even even if he does even if he doesn't throw that long touchdown like you, you should be you should be kind of a lot safer because you're not going to be able to get Keenan Allen. You're not going to be able to get Mike Williams. But if he does throw that long touchdown to Palmer, then you're going to be in a pretty good situation, right? So the not necessarily... The game. <laughs> right. I like, it I like that part about the book you're talking about. You know, you're sitting there looking at the players and you're overanalyzing your starting roster. And the, I, I appreciated the hours you talked about that you put into your leagues. I feel like obviously all three of us with running a podcast, I can I can probably speak on half all of us. We put quite a few hours into the sport as well too, but... Oh man, that hit home. You're like, oh, I just sit there and overanalyze who I'm going to play and the game inside the game. That's, yeah, but that is fantasy football. I appreciate that. I had a good little giggle when I was reading that part. Yeah, the the time of it is just absurd. I do it every every good fantasy mentor does it. We all just spend time on an over overanalyze anything, but that's kind of the beauty of fantasy football. I think. 
Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, I overanalyze everything too. Jordan sends me trades all the time and takes me like five days to get back to him. On anything. <laughs> uh, well, but, yeah, I, that offer. We'll just maybe breeze over that one. <laughs> um, but I really did like your writing style. Um, it, uh, it made it easy for me to read with how casual you were. Um, and, um, let me get to know you as the writer a little bit more too, like kind of, um, your references and everything like that. Um, felt like I was having a conversation with you. Um, I just wanted to make that comment before we started. Um, you didn't mention much about dynasty or keeper leagues in your, uh, in your book there. And like, I know, like you said, you're kind of looking at beginner, um, people as well and trying to not, uh, bring too much to the table for them, but, um, was there any other, or what was your reasoning to focus more on redrafting for this book? Uh, yeah. So I thought that, um, I thought that redraft and, and it's true. Like it, it is just the most standard league out there and it's what the most people play. Um, and so I figured that, um, without trying to make the book too long, um, you, I mean, you could write a whole other book on the economics of a dynasty league, right. And, and on kind of the philosophy behind that and how you trade with that and that kind of, in that kind of setting. So I figured that without trying to make the book 500 pages, you know, I, I wanted to keep it as, as the light read. I wanted to, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to take out any humor or take out any stories like to add in kind of just more uh, fantasy detail. So that was kind of my reasoning for, for that. Um, Dynasty leagues are, and can be a lot of fun. Um, it definitely changes the way that you think about a lot of things. Cause you obviously have to think about next year and the year after that. Um, so maybe that'll be the next edition. I don't know. You could probably write a whole nother book on keeper leagues. So. Yeah. And that kind of, that kind of leads to my, my follow-up question. Like in the book, you talk about like on the economic side, trading doesn't necessarily make sense, which I agree with a lot. Like every time I get a trade offer and a redraft, I'm like, well, oh, does it really make sense? Right. Like to actually do this trade. Like I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere ahead, not falling behind why why do it at all um but does your opinions on trading change based on keeper leagues or dynasty leagues uh yeah I, I think it absolutely has to change right like i i talk about in the book how um the trading doesn't necessarily make sense because there's no extra value produced and there's no long-term aspect of it and so because it's all just in one season in one short period of time if I'm trading, let's say a number one running back and you're giving me a number one ride receiver, one person thinks that they're getting the better end of the deal. Like there's no, there's no way that both of those players are going to end up doing better. Like you would see in like normal economics where like if you traded with country A traded uh, blank asset to country B for blank asset, and then they could both produce more. Um, obviously that can't exist in fantasy football because we're just kind of fake managers, as you put it. Um, but in the dynasty league, like I actually think it does make sense to trade if you're looking towards the future, because you're a lot closer to a real GM in the fact that if you know that you're not going to make it next, if you know you're not going to make it this year and that your team isn't going to make a playoff push, like why would you build for this year? It, it really doesn't make sense. You could try to acquire picks, try to get good rookies for next year or good guys who aren't going to be kept. So yeah, I absolutely think the entire economics of it changes and I would be much more pro trade in a keeper or dynasty league. I agree. I find keeper my easiest place to find trades and over any, any format, but that keeper that's my opinion. Nice buffer zone between the two. You still get that redraft every single year, but then you can still trade the assets moving forward. It's like, it's a nice like kind of segue between the two leagues. I find mm -hmm. we actually, yeah. all, we're all three in our arm and, Armand is the commission or recently, I think was it last year, two years ago, we transitioned into a, uh, a keeper league and it's, it's starting to get some traction with some of the trades, but that's like you said, it's the different philosophy between that future mindset versus win now, which is that kind of the redraft mentality. How many guys, uh, if I could ask, how many do you keep in that league? What is your, your rules? What are your settings? We have three keepers and they are for three years. So you get to keep them twice, I guess. And, then, oh, cool. and you keep them in the round you drafted them in. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And then after three years, you don't get them. Anymore, right? Yeah, they go, they back, go back to the, they go back into the pot and then you have to keep mm -hmm. somebody else. So yeah. there's, 
there's some added strategy too. Cause I know I've been in a keeper league before where you just keep your three favorite players, but then they count as your first, second, third round pick, which there's no added value there. At all. Right. You're just keeping three good players, but you want to reward the good drafters. Like I know Armin, I think it's you that's got Jefferson in like, what is it? The 11th round? Like it's just uh, 13th. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so better tip of the cap to there. So it just adds yeah. extra value when you, when you draft well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and one extra rule that we put in there, one of my basketball leagues has this rule is you can't keep your first round pick. So mm. that way CMC or Henry Taylor are back on, on the draft board for the next year. And that gives you more incentive to trade those guys um, in the season. If you're not going to make the playoffs. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, this is what I love about fantasy football and fantasy sports. Like there are so many leagues who have so many different rules and so many different stipulations that it really just creates this environment where everyone can customize it to their own and everyone has to figure out their own strategies when you customize these rules, right? Because an expert might put out, you know, a top rankings list, or they might put out a strategy guide, but if your rules are slightly different, like it it can change so many things on the fly and then it's up to you guys to figure it out. So it's just, it's one of the reasons why I love fantasy sports. I want to build on that idea. Yeah. Uh, So towards the end of the book, you, you talk about half point PPR scoring, and I would consider this podcast to be a pro half point PPR podcast. Um, so Jordan and I are both in a league where each skill position group receives different uh, PPR scoring. Um, so JC, maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think running backs are 0. 0.5. Correct. Wide receivers are 1.25. Uh, and then tight ends are two points per reception. Mm. Um, where do you sit on that fence? Cause I know you were, you're making the argument earlier that, uh, you think the, the half point really favors the running backs, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, do you think having the, the breakdown as it is where each skill group gets, uh, more points produces more of like an equal playing field for the positions? Um, wow. I, I actually think, I think it solves it more than the average league would do it because I, I don't love the economics of bringing in more points. Um, it's just standard across everyone. Like, let's say you do one point PPR for tight end wide receiver running back. Um, I don't love how it just, I think to me, at least it overvalues the running back and it creates not only overvalues them, but it cre- creates more running backs available, which I don't necessarily think that there should be. I, I don't think necessarily a guy like JD McKissick or a guy like Nahi Mines should be startable every week. Uh, I just don't think that there should be 36 running backs for everyone to have um, kind of creates the scarcity around the most injury prone position. Um, but I think that when you create more value towards the tight ends and even a little bit more towards the wide receivers, uh, and it sounds like based on the points, like you guys have definitely Correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you guys have fiddled with this a little bit and you've kind of found the sweet spot over the years is what I'm assuming. Um, So I think that that would be a better approach if you're going to take the PPR, half PPR standard debate um, to the next level. Um, Obviously, that's a little bit complicated to explain to someone who might just be kind of beginning. But for a league that's been going on as long as yours, I can definitely tell that you, you guys have found the sweet spot. Yeah, this one was in one of our charity leagues. It's the European, I can't remember, EC4, like commonly referred to it as, but it's in a charity league out of Europe. And we've actually taken a similar strategy and adapted to Armin's Keeper League. And we're going to use a similar platform for our charity league that we operate here as well, where it's going to be adding some extra value to those other positions. We've been in the tight end premium leagues before, but then the wide receivers, like you mentioned, are devalued in comparison to the running backs, where the running backs already carry that premium value. So it's going to be interesting come some draft seasons because I've only been part of these in, you know, um, like the big mega best ball type leagues. But when you go into like your regular redraft where it's that one year, it's, are the wide receiver draft positions, are they going to skyrocket the boards or is it going to still be pretty similar? Like the one that Zach's kind of referencing, talking about playing around with different settings in that league, the only thing you have to do is start one quarterback and one tight end. The rest of your eight man roster, nine man roster could be, seven tight ends it could be seven running backs it could be seven wide receivers so there's a wide range but then it's the wide receivers have more value and the tight ends even have more increased value so the drafting in that one was 
quite obscure because the, <laughs> you never, first of all, you've never been in a league like that before. And B, there's a lot of added value to other players that don't necessarily have that in years previous too. So like you said, for somebody that's a beginning fantasy football player, this could be a lot to throw at them, but for somebody that's, you know, trying to expand their league or elaborate their league, there might, there's lots of options. I know you address that in the book as well too. Matt. So th this is one of those things where I, I think, and I, yeah, I talk about this a bit in the book. This is one of those things where information and knowing your league better than the guy beside you is such a massive advantage. Because if you play with all these kind of finicky rules and you have, it sounds like a, what, a seven or eight flex league, like guys aren't, the, the average person isn't going to know how to draft properly. And it's going to be up to the smart managers to be able to draft. And they are going to have such a massive advantage over the people that don't figure out the settings and don't figure out the rules. So if you played in that league, I think for, I don't know, let's say six, seven years by year three, year four, like everyone, I think in the league would start to figure it out and they would know exactly what they need to do. But in years one or two, you would have such a massive discrepancy, I think, between the top teams and the bottom leagues. It's, it could even be like one or two or three managers who just studied and kind of figured out exactly how to draft everyone going into the league, but everyone else is just kind of playing it like a standard league and they're not going to have any idea of what's going on. That's a great point. I think, I think Jordan and I, you and I had a pretty similar strategy, but I know there is people drafting in my division that were like so different than what we were doing. They were going running back heavy and um, light on the quarterbacks. It's a super flex as well. And non-receiving um, and non-receiving running backs too, which was yeah. like, added like what's going on here. So like, hopefully you and I, <laughs> focused on the correct strategy and we're not sitting here in October being like, what the heck? Yeah, we're, just we're getting gassed by, yeah, yeah, just getting gassed by a bunch of guys in Norway and like Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, we're, we're well, actually we're going to drop it on the start of the episode here too. So obviously you're getting a bit of it while we're doing the interview before we have to drop the episode, but we're going to be implementing some very similar rules to our charity league, which we're going to be advertising during this episode. So some people that are listening are getting a little sneak peek here throughout the, the interview process. And if they listen to this podcast or listen to a specific episode, they're going to get a, hopefully a little bit of an advantage as we go into that charity draft as well, too. So, so Noah, you know, kind of following up to that last question about the obscure uh, scoring settings, uh, what would be in your mind, the perfect fantasy league uh, as far as number of teams involved uh, scoring redraft versus dynasty even what would be like your preferred host site, whether it's Sleeper or, or Yahoo or NFL? Yeah. Oh man. I got to build my own league now. This is, oh, this is perfect. Uh, I've always liked Yahoo, always an advocate of Yahoo. I'll probably stay in it for a long time. Sleeper is pretty good and it's definitely up and coming. I, I do like Yahoo though. Um, 12 teams. Uh, I think that's the perfect amount. I would go starting roster of one quarterback two running backs, two receivers, and one flex, and a tight end, and a tight end, uh, kicker, defense, and then six bench, and one IR spot. I think that would be my optimal. Uh, standard scoring with um, uh, minus two for interceptions, minus two for all, um, all turnovers, um, yeah, four points for a touchdown for a quarterback, six for, for running and receiving. Yeah, so kind of kind of standard stuff, uh, except I'd probably just get rid of the PPR and, uh, and keep it that way. I, I think that's – and that, that is also what I've played for a long time, so it's very possible that I'm just biased. Yeah. Um, but that would be my redraft. That would be my redraft league for sure. And you're Sounds pro kicker like in defense, eh? 100% I'm pro kicker. <laughs> defense plays half the game and kickers are one of the most valuable positions in football. If they're good or if they're not good, they literally win you the game and they score the most points in all of football. I don't understand for the life of me, why people don't like kickers. I will put respect on the kickers names <laughs> and you know what? I'll say one more thing actually about the settings for it. I really like the scoring settings for kickers where you give 0.1 per yard that they've kicked instead of just doing like ranges. Oh, mm -hmm. So if, if it's a 43 yarder instead of getting four points you get 4.3 if he kicks a 24 yarder you get 2.4 a 60 yarder you get six i think that's the best way and it, it rewards them accurately 
Yeah, I like of, that. I've never heard that before, that's actually. Edition Armin. Write that one down, Armin. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, Jordan and uh, Zach, uh, I can come out and say it now because I'm not in the minority right now, but I am a defense and kicker fan. Um, we just had this. We just had this argument because we were doing the, you know, the standard. We're starting league up. Is there any rule changes? And in one of the Armin's commission league was the question: Do we get rid of kickers and do we get rid of defenses? And I think we were close to a 50 50 i think we, actually zach and i were in the minority i think but it was it was yeah. close mm. yeah we ended up keeping them i don't know if you guys noticed but i have those settings juiced up a little bit in that league actually so that they get a little bit more points than normal <laughs> knowing knowing your settings eh, armin <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, the guy's taking justin tucker in like round nine this year he's just not tying you Field goal is yeah. worth 100 points. <laughs> yeah. Why'd you take a kicker in the third round? You could have taken Young Way Koo and all of a sudden won your league. <laughs> okay, so we were kind of bouncing around here a little bit. I think I know you mentioned we were talking uh, a little bit on Instagram there. Like, you know, I just like talking fantasy football. So it can be book related, it can be fantasy football related. So I got a couple of questions tailored to the book and a couple that actually tailored towards maybe just your personal philosophy about fantasy football, et cetera, too. So um, it is draft season. Uh, it's right around the corner here. I don't know if, if you had some of your drafts yet, or if you're just preparing for some of them, but I want to hear what your thoughts are on, on a couple strategies. And I know one that was become quite popular over the last couple of years is zero RB. And then now what's kind of morphed into this new ideology of the, called the hero RB, where for those of you at home that are unfamiliar with that, it's where in the round one, you take those big name, like, um, you know, like a Henry or a JT or a CMC, and then you scrap the position until like, for example, like the 10th round. So you take that one big RB and the load wide receivers hardcore the rest. So zero RB where you just blank it all together. Hero RB is a similar idea, but obviously a small tweak. So I want to hear what your philosophy was this is because this is in, in fantasy football Twitter. This is the big thing in these last couple of years of conversation. So I'm curious on what you think. So my thought on it, um, and I mentioned this, I think actually just in the first chapter of the book is that all these strategies that you're going to see all over Twitter and all over Instagram and all over like these big experts who talk about it, they're all great until you step into a draft room and then suddenly Derrick Henry falls to pick 13 and you're sitting there like, I wasn't planning on taking a running back, but now look at what happened. And so you have, to, you have to find your strategy based on whoever's the best player. And that's honestly what I do every single draft, I think. I, I come in with an idea of what I want to do, um, but it's all about who's there, right? Like if, the, if a great player is there, like I'm confident in my ability to find another player later in the draft who can fill that positional role. But I'm always just generally going to draft the best player. You know, if you're going to leave me, you know, Kyle Pitts in round six, I'm going to take Kyle Pitts in round six, even if I was not planning on taking a tight end until round 10, right? Like, it's just the reality of the situation. And I think that that's how you do well in fantasy is that because at the end of the day, like the game is just about who scores more points. That is literally who wins the game. And I think that with all these strategies all the time, sometimes that gets lost on us. But just take the players who are going to score you the most points. If you think that that's a certain receiver or you think that it's a certain running back, take that player. And then if you have done a lot of research and, and you're confident in your abilities, then you should be able to find another position later on that hopefully can make up for the one that you didn't take. So, um, I mean, me at least, I, I think that the zero RB strategy is a little nuts, um, especially because there are a lot of good running backs early in the draft and it's harder to find them later on unless you kind of get lucky. Um, hero RB, I'm more of a fan of, um, I've been generally doing that without knowing that without knowing what a hero RB strategy <laughs> is. I think I've been kind of doing that, uh, in the past last year I took Jonathan Taylor, uh, and then I waited and took Javante Williams and like round seven or something. Um, so that's kind of what I like to do, but, um, yeah, honestly, just take the best players and be confident with, with that in your team. Don't look at the positions too much and then fill out your roster later. So just a kind of general comment here, Jordan. Yeah, like um, what you just talked about, though, is why I think you mesh well with our, our pod is a lot of the stuff we talk about, we, we never really talk about doing a specific strategy about this is what you need to do. It's more like talking about the players and what we see and where we think guys are, are ranked based on each other, but uh, never really pushing a strategy and more trying to find what fits your league the best. Because like I know I can do like 100 mock drafts, and then I go to my actual league and it 
falls completely different. And there's guys that I never would have thought I would have had in certain positions. Like remember last year, Marquez Callaway went like the fourth round in your, <laughs> he was like, well, here we go. Now we're throwing a twist in this. Yeah. Um, you're talking about taking the best player available in your draft. And I'm curious to see what your thoughts on this. Cause if I remember correctly in the book, you're an Eagles fan, correct? Oh yes. Big. Hey. So oh, <laughs> right, there we have, go. To, have to wrap it on the podcast boys. Yeah. So this is a two parter, I guess. Uh, the first one is what are your thoughts on drafting uh, players from the team you like the most? So I know myself as a Lions fan, it's been difficult drafting good lines the last couple of years. So you just kind of go hands off and, you just cheer for them on Sundays alongside your fantasy team. So you don't feel heartbreak both ways, but what's your philosophy on maybe staying away from them or, or targeting some of your favorite players just because you like to cheer for them as well. So obviously that'd be directed to you as an Eagle fan. Um, man, it's tough not to take them. Like it's, it, it's tough to look at it objectively. Um, especially when your team has, let's say an exciting off season. Like if you, if you're a Raiders fan, for example, and you have a pick at the end of the first round, like, how are you not taking Devontae Adams, right? Like, it, like I, that's got to be so tempting. But um, for me, at least, like, you just have to put on the objective colored glasses and look at it literally as clear as you can. Do the same research for your Eagles players or for your Lions players or for whatever team you like, the exact same as everywhere else. Um, I never specifically target Eagles. Um, if one falls to me, then sometimes I'll take them. Definitely got burned on Carson Wentz uh, a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, it is what it is. Like it, it falls into that same strategy before. Just always taking the best player available. Uh, if they're on your favorite team, great. If they're not on your favorite team, even better. Uh, I, I think that it sometimes gets even more challenging. I, I think it's easier to lay off a player on your favorite team than it is to take a player on an opposing team, like a, like on a rival like taking a cowboy when you're an Eagles fan or taking a Steeler when you're a Ravens fan, I think that's a harder thing to do. And you have to use a clearer mind on that situation, even more than your favorite team, because, and I mentioned this too, the last thing that you want to do as a Colts fan, for example, is pass on Derrick Henry and then watch as he's stiff arming his way to a championship for another team. And so I think that you just have to look at it objectively. I like that answer. So then yeah. I can part this and then I'll pass the torch over. So obviously as an Eagles fan, it's been a love hate relationship with Jalen Hurts for people in the fantasy community. Cause are they going to keep them while they have all these firsts? Are they going to, are they going to replace them? And then all of a sudden now he's having a good off season with lots of targets, like the addition of AJ Brown has been awesome for him. What's your perspective as maybe as a fantasy owner compared to as an Eagles fan on maybe owning dynasty Jalen Hurts right now. So he's, He's a hot topic because some people are selling high, some people are trying to buy, buying the middle ground. What do you, what do you, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think everything rides on this year. Um, I, I think that the thing I would be concerned about was that uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Howie Roseman and company came out and said that they envisioned the Eagles as a quarterback factory. And what I took to mean by that is that they're going to play by the rookie quarterback contract as best as they can. And so if Jalen Hurts doesn't have a phenomenal year, then I wouldn't be surprised if they eventually moved on after his four years drop on his rookie contract. Um, I think that they're afraid of getting burned by the Carson Wentz contract like they did before. And honestly, I, I think that it's smart football. Like I, I've been advocating this for years, unless you have like a Patrick Mahomes or you have a Josh Allen, like you have a, like a top, top tier guy. I don't necessarily think it ever makes sense to hand your quarterback a massive second contract. Like you look at the teams that win championships and you just look at the trend. And generally after these big quarterbacks get that second contract, they don't, they don't win Super Bowls. Like you, you look at the previous Super Bowl winners through a bunch of years. I mean, yeah, Tom Brady has seven of them and he never played at market value because he always should have been the top paid quarterback in the league. And he never was, but uh, I think that's the way that you build football teams and you build championship teams. So it's tough because we're comparing fantasy football to real football. But if the Eagles see it the same way that I do, then I wouldn't be surprised unless he has an MVP type of season or a great type of season. If Hertz doesn't get a second contract after his time in Philadelphia. Good answer. You're hitting off all of our teams here. I know you're talking about Tom Brady and the Pats. That's Zach's favorite. <laughs> you're talking about 
Jefferson early on in the Vikings as Armin. So you're hearing, seeing our ears peak up a little bit here with some of, our, <laughs> some of these team drops. But I'll pass the torch on and let somebody else ask a question here. Yeah, I'll go. I have a, I have a few in a row here to fire off, kind of related. Um, in the end, near the end of the book, you start talking about other other sports and other leagues. And um, I guess the first part is you talk about Aussie rules football and you say you don't really like rugby. What do you got against rugby? (laughs) (laughs) Here's what I'll say. You know what? It isn't that I have anything against rugby. It's that I just love the AFL. Like Australian, the Australian Football League is absolutely electric. If you haven't watched it, two in the morning, three in the morning, turn on your TV, watch it live. It's a great time. Um, I love the score of double double. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there, there's a lot of rugby players that don't want to get too many people mad, but uh, I would just say that their their game isn't quite as exciting as the Aussie game. I, I play rugby, so that's why I, I had to throw that in there. Yeah, suck on an arm. And- <laughs> <laughs> it's a good sport. I love it. I do love Aussie rules football, though. It's a lot of fun. Um, but getting into later in that chapter, you talk about CFL and I love the idea of fantasy CFL. It's a thought that's in my head quite often. Um, cause actually like before I got into fantasy, I actually rarely watched the NFL. Um, fantasy is what got me turned on to watching the NFL. And, um, so I think that like it could work that, that way with CFL, it could help the league a lot. Um, and what do you think, so what do you think needs to happen for fantasy CFL to become a reality? Yeah. So I think that the first thing that happens is they have to make the shift away from daily fantasy and just into season long fantasy, because right now the CFL has a daily fantasy league that they'll advertise. They'll, they'll talk about it on the broadcast. They'll talk about Mm -hmm. it on TSN, that kind of thing. But as I talk about, uh, in the book, like when I talk about competition and I talk about what really drives us towards fantasy football, it it's the fact that we're playing with each other, right? Like we're, we're in daily fantasy. You're just kind of playing, you're playing against everyone technically, but you're really playing against no one. And so it's the fact that you're playing in a league with the ones that you care about that drives you to really keep going with the sport sport and, and keep going with the game. Right. So, um, for the CFL, I think, and I have been, I will always be a massive CFL person, advocate, fan. I think that it's a great Canadian game. Um, but I think that if they want to get young people involved and they want to grow TV revenues and just kind of promote the overall growth of the game, I think that season-long fantasy football is really the only way, not the only way maybe, but the biggest way that they can do it. And it's somewhat perplexing to me that they haven't actually gone through it that at this point. Um, I think that they need a couple people or a team of people who are fantasy football experts to really get in there and make sure that everything is set up properly. But if they invested in creating that season long league and putting the technology around it, and uh, I have some suggestions, if they want to hear this, I have some suggestions (laughs) on things that they could do in the book um, that I think that it could really work and it would get more young people involved because uh, unfortunately, like it's not hard to see on the broadcasts, you know, other than I would say Winnipeg and Saskatchewan, maybe there aren't that many seats being sold in some of these other cities, right. Especially like Toronto and, and Montreal and, and Edmonton right now with the season that they're having, like the building looks relatively empty, most games. And as a Canadian, as a big CFL fan, like that is tough to see. And so mm-hmm. uh, I think that if you want to keep growing the game, getting young people involved, I think that fantasy football is really the investment that they need to make. Um, and I'm hoping that they see it in the future. Uh, they want to reach out to me. I'll be happy to do it. For them. <laughs> They're listening to the podcast. I'll be happy to, to join the team and help out. So I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the DFS compared to season long, when you talked about, you know, like, and you mentioned a lot in the book about friendly competition. There are some mm-hmm. people that play, you know, for $0 and why not for $0? I know Armin, you've been in a $0 league for a couple of years now where you do mm-hmm. fun drafting strategies, but there's nothing better. Like some days, you know, you win and it's like, okay, like at the end of the year, like you said, you maybe win a hundred bucks, maybe you win 200 bucks, but nothing better when you roll into like, we all three used to teach at the same school and we had a big matchup and you caught that W you'd roll into that classroom and you would flex on them. Like that was, that was the best part of it. And you could do that 15 weeks in a row. Like at the end, it's like, <laughs> yeah. sure. That money is great. But the best part was rolling in that class in front of all the kids and flexing on that teacher. And then 
dropping the mic and pieces out and the kids are just like kind of laughing at you like you know that's the best part the camaraderie and i think that's why our work league that we all were a part of at one point was so successful like the money is yeah it's great but it brought a lot of camaraderie during the dog days of winter and throughout that staff and that's kind of a lot of the premise of some of the lines of your book there and i, I definitely agree with that yeah nothing better too than having that uh, belt sitting in, in my classroom right behind my desk for all my students to see all year long yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i i agree with you Noah, and like i am legitimately worried about the league like you said with the the other teams other than winnipeg and sask having low attendance and and even like when you look at the fans in there like if sask or winnipeg are playing those teams like you see almost half the people there are supporting the, the away team. So um, fantasy is, is I think, a, a good way to get that uh, league revived a little bit more. And um, they talk about wanting to expand it. And maybe if they get fantasy going, then it would make it easier to expand it, right? Get more crowds, more, more people in, interested in the league, and then more fantasy players for everyone to choose from. Um, you know, it's funny of, that you actually uh, said that as we were talking, one of my fantasy CFL league mates was actually calling me on the phone. So uh, <laughs> I'll call him back after the show. But that's funny that you said that. Here's probably, to, probably to talk about fantasy CFL if I had to guess. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I think it, it would work well, like even though the NFL draft season for, for fantasy is right in the middle of the CFL season, um, you at least you get to start your, uh, your fantasy season a little earlier it gives you a bit more fantasy at a different time of year than than you normally would um but my next question i'm still on the cfl train though is are there any rules from the cfl that you think should be adopted by the nfl oh ooh. to the actual oh to the game itself that's interesting um it would be very very interesting to see the nfl with 25 yard end zones I think oh, that yeah. would be fascinating to see um, because a lot of what separates the good teams from the great teams in the NFL, I think is that bend don't break defense where once the field condenses in the last part of the field and you get near the end zone, these teams really clutch up and they hold you to a field goal a lot of the time. But with a 25 yard end zone, like you, you can't do that. Like there's so much field behind you to play on that. I think that it would really collapse the whole bend don't break strategy and the teams with really just the best defenses throughout the field would really prosper. So I don't know if they should necessarily apply it or not, but I think it would be a fascinating change to the game and you'd see a lot more scoring on a 25 yard end zone. Oh yeah. Yeah. That'd be interesting to see, like even from a strategy perspective, like that goal line package would look a whole lot different. You'd see some more deeper routes in, in passing uh, in passing plays. Cause you can pull the safety 25 yards away from the goal line and, play action and everything right we've had this conversation a few times Armin and myself about the if the two leagues can combine one set of rules that everybody would play like american football see it like canadian football and we'd all play the same rules so there'd be easy transition what would those rules be and it's interesting you know fourth down versus three down size of ball size of yards like wider field narrower field like all those different things to consider like you could make like fair catch versus no yards. Like there's so many different rules between two leagues. That's the same sport. It'd be interesting to see something that would be common. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the CFL would have to change the NFL because it's America's game or turning into America's game, I should say, but it's, it's, it's an interesting conversation. And I, I, yeah, especially when we talked about this one, I think when the conversation about potentially the CFL being bought, I think was kind of when this first started to come around, but. Yeah, although I think the nice thing is that it keeps the CFL unique, like all the rule changes, because it, it becomes a different game that you're watching, right? And so even though the NFL is great, I wouldn't want the CFL to just turn into a worse version of the NFL. And I feel like if you adopt a lot of the same rules, then that's going to kind of happen. So I, I like the fact that the CFL is totally different now and it has so many different rules because it really just makes it a totally different game. Absolutely. Yeah. And your freedom on offense and with gadget plays and even being able to punt the ball when you're past the line of scrimmage is an awesome rule too. Like it can really change uh, what's happening in the game. Like that, uh, how many years ago was it where they were just kicking the ball back and forth? It was like Hamilton and Toronto or something. Yeah, trying to avoid the rouge. Yeah. Um, so with your, with your friend messaging you there, uh, from that group chat, your CFL group chat, 
Um, that got me thinking, uh, what is your preferred source of fantasy football content? And uh, kind of a follow-up there, who are some of your favorite personalities or writers that you follow? Mm. Um, growing up in Canada, I still, I use the score a lot. Uh, and so I like uh, Justin Boone from the score. I think he does a really good job. Um, one of my guys actually from Winnipeg, he, uh, I'll give him a shout out. He actually gave me a testimonial from the back of the book right now. Uh, uh, Jacob Sanderson. Uh, I like him watch a lot of his or read a lot of his stuff is good. Um, Ooh, there's so many people to choose from. Um, I like some of the guys from Yahoo. Uh, I like Dalton Del Don. Um, uh, man, Andy Barron's is really good too. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of different, there's, there's thousands of analysts to choose from. I think it's impossible to just kind of pick a few. Um, but yeah, I get my content kind of from everywhere. Um, I, as everyone does, right? Like, you, you, but here's the tough part though. Once you've gone, and you'll see this on sites like Fantasy Pros, where they just like amalgamate all the averages of people's rankings. Once you really just see that kind of like average out thing, you really just have to pick on your own, right? Like you can get all the fantasy advice in the world from all these different experts, but at the end of the day, it's your team. And you're going to have your own feelings about how you think guys are going to do, how you guys think aren't going to perform. And so even if you read up on all the experts, I think it's just the best idea to do your own research on it and kind of have your own instincts, um, unless your instincts suck. And then at that point, maybe you just listen to someone else. But uh, <laughs> if you're confident in your instincts, then um, I think that you are your own best fantasy expert. Well, it's kind of funny that you uh, mentioned the like, let someone else draft for you because in our uh, school league our at our at work there um the guy who won the league this last year he actually auto drafted his team of course yeah of course yeah there was a guy that two years ago accidentally did it um funny story he thought he was drafting with us he was on the zoom chat with us and then like we were in round five or something he was like well thanks guys thanks for the draft and we we're like why are you leaving he's like well we're done aren't we and turned out he entered like this like random startup league that had like a super short clock and he didn't actually he wasn't drafting with us anyways <laughs> his auto draft ended up getting first in the regular season but he lost in the playoffs wow. but uh yeah the guy who won this year he's like yeah i'm gonna do it he, so he's, he came on the zoom chat with us and everything but he just sat there and let it auto draft for him he said there's a few times where he was tempted to pick someone else but he just stuck with it and ended up winning the league which was wild yeah it just shows what what we know or what experts know right <laughs> i mean sometimes the auto draft team is the team that finishes in first yeah going back to your answer there about uh sanderson how did you guys link up because i saw his name on the the back of the jacket of the book how did you guys connect for the first time uh so he was the president of the university of manitoba student union uh, a few years back when i was going there and so we had met a couple times through that uh and my dad was uh used to be very involved in the university as well and so they knew each other and so um when i was looking for testimonials for the book um i already kind of knew him and uh my dad certainly knew him and so uh, at that point, I just kind of reached out and, and it was kind of a good connection. He said he'd be happy to do it. A um, couple Winnipeg-based guys, it, it worked out well. Um, so yeah, that's how we we linked up. Nice. He's a good follow on Twitter. Um, yeah. I definitely been following him for several years now and he's got some good advice. Um, I just have one last question and then I'll pass it off to you other two guys. Um, completely unrelated to fantasy football. Uh, but in chapter 13, you make reference to the Game of Thrones um, with the buildup and the expectations of that last season, um, not meeting some fans' uh, expectations. Uh, Two-parter here for you. Favorite character and your favorite moment in the show? Oh, man. Oh. First of all, the best show of all time. Cannot wait for House of the Dragon. Cannot wait. <laughs> Next um, week, I think, right? Yeah, oh, looking forward to it. So it's, it's on the calendar. Um, favorite character is Jon Snow, um, or or Hodor because Hodor was a legend. But uh, in all seriousness, I'd say Jon Snow. And oh man, favorite moment in the show. I hate to spoil things. Um, 
if you haven't seen it, but light spoiler, uh, I would say the Battle of the Bastards was just a phenomenal fight, a phenomenal scene. Um, watching Ramsey getting eaten by the dogs in the last uh, scene of that episode, I think was just an unbelievable to, way to end that story where he was kind of forcing the dogs to work for, or forcing the dogs in, in his end and watching Sansa kind of get her return there. Um, I thought that I thought that whole battle sequence was phenomenal and one of the best that you're ever going to see on television. Um, funny story about that. I was on uh, a Game of Thrones tour once, and this is in uh, Belfast in Northern Ireland. And I almost won a script from the Battle of the Bastards because <laughs> our tour guide was, uh, I don't know if, I, if I've told this story or not yet. I guess I can tell it now. Um, our tour guide from the, uh, from the tour was actually an extra on the show. And so he had a bunch of scripts from it. And he had this contest where if you uh, answer a bunch of questions right compared to everyone else on the bus, then he'll give you an opportunity to win one of those scripts. And so I'm still a little bit salty about this. I should make this known right now. But uh, <laughs> I won the contest on the tour uh, by getting the most questions right. And so the final question he gave me was, how many... What is the exact minute and second into the show where the first death occurred? And so um, the funny part about that story is because I knew we were going to be doing Game of Thrones trivia, that's always like you, you can tell there are certain questions which are always like the hard Game of Thrones or the hard Breaking Bad or the hard whatever show office question. And they kind of get repeated a lot. And so at about 10 in the morning on that tour, I looked up some of the hard questions and that was one of them that came up and the answer was five minutes and 52 seconds and so i i still remember this and so i absolutely knew what the answer was and so i stand up and he asked me and i go i'm about to win this script like this is this is the best <laughs> day of my life uh and so i say the answer is five minutes and 52 seconds and he says that i was wrong and so I'm looking at like my brother who's with me and I'm looking at like, I just researched this. Like, I know that I'm right. It's five minutes and 52 seconds. And then he's like, oh, like, I'm sorry, man. Like, that's, that's not the answer. So then I sit down or whatever. Turns out he was using the DVD version of Game of Thrones, which has like pre-stuff at the beginning. And like, oh, it's not dude. actually like the show. Uh, and so I think what was really happening is he just didn't want to give out the script. And he was assuming that nobody would ever know the answer to that question. Um, but that was a fun tour. Hey, if you look on my Instagram, you can still find a picture of that tour uh, of me holding a sword uh, at the same place where, where Rob Stark was declared King of the North. So um, that was, that was a really fun time. So anyway, that was a big sidetrack, a long story, but I figured it would be good for your, your listeners. Absolutely. Hey, that's all right. We're great we're, answer. Yeah. We're big components on this pod about using a lot of, uh, media or yes like you know like tv show references i know we're both i know i know i don't know about uh, armin but i know zach and i are huge office fans so there's a lot mm. of pretty good office humor that gets dropped periodically among among other good shows <laughs> but um talking about zach or sorry you got something there zach yeah just a little bit more yeah noah i uh when i was writing this question down last night i uh i actually thought of that exact scene as one of my favorite moments and i can actually remember seeing it Cause I'd always download it off the internet the Monday after work. And I remember, Hey, sh hey sh don't, don't tell HBO. Just <laughs> download it from the HBO site. There you go. Um, I remember watching it and just like, I think I, I hopped up off the coach in the rental with my iPad falling to the floor, just like fist pumping. Like, yes, we got him. Oh man. Just the whole sequence. And how, uh, when, uh, Jon Snow is in the mud, and everyone is stomping on him and he kind of rises back up and breathes and the Knights of the Vale come running and like the, the whole battle sequence in that episode was just phenomenal. Phenomenal. Goosebumps for sure. I like how uh, you mentioned, and this kind of comes full circle between not only this, this story, but you talked about a little bit before uh, when we're doing the interview here too, you talk about, you know, like you like to add humor to it. You like to share stories and that's a huge component of the book. And that's something that I really appreciate. It's kind of how I operate through 
you know, I, I want, I have one thing I want to say, it could take 30 seconds to say it, but I'm going to tell you a 45 minute story to get you there. That's kind of <laughs> how I operate. So um, one of the stories that I, I appreciate and I was giggling about, and I'm going to talk about here too. And that's something we are all three of us were at a wedding this past weekend and in true typical fashion, we sneak out for 30 minutes behind, behind the wedding to have a beer and, and visit about fantasy football. And so we're talking about the book a little bit. And one of the things I said, I laughed so hard when you talked about the presentation that the teacher nearly mm. failed you on because you went different than everybody else. Oh, and we're all teachers. So we just, I thought that was just the funniest thing. So for those of you at home that maybe not have read the book yet, you'll, you'll see it soon enough when you read it and you'll probably giggle just the same as we did. But now, if you had to go back in time and give that teacher this book, what do you, do you think you're still nearly failing too because you're different or a different perspective not going into it, this book? Uh, I think that if she has known that I've written a book on it, then she'll sympathetically maybe give me a better mark. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Maybe she just still likes countries. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't give you an answer. <laughs> oh. not, don't, want to, don't want to spoil too much, right? So. Oh, I was laughing so hard when, when I, I was going through, going through it. And I was like, hey, that's kind of a neat idea. You know, like, here's your typical, and we're all teachers. So we imagine we can all kind of relate to that. But giving variety to students is something that is promoted in our schools now. So, you know, here's our main idea. You could do something else you're interested. That sounds awesome. It's like, no, you're different. You fail. It's like, well, <laughs> that's just so funny. Got a good little giggle over that one. Um, I don't know. I have one wrap up question, I guess, at the end. But if you guys have anything else you want to ask before, I, if, if not, then I'll maybe tee off my last question here. Um, going with uh oh go ahead Zach, or, i'm sorry another just another funny comment going with uh pulling at our strings here with us being teachers the other part was is we knew this would be a zach's uh book of choice here because one of your chapters was put it all on black and zach has a little <laughs> bit of a history with that that's my number one investment strategy <laughs> just go right um, to the casino and yeah <laughs> um one last question so we mentioned this a little bit you know there's I think this book kind of gives a little bit to anybody you know if you're a brand new fantasy manager fantasy fantasy contributor there's a little bit that you can take away obviously actually quite a bit I think you can take away if you're a seasoned pro or if you're somebody that's been in it for a couple of years and and looking to learn a little bit more there's a little bit of everything for this book right um but if you could give maybe uh your top three recommendations for somebody that's just stepping into the game and maybe that might be, you know, how to be successful at the game. Maybe it's, you know, about just enjoying the ride. What would be three things um, that you could say to that person? Say, you know what, here's why you should like fantasy football. And here's things that you should remember that maybe will help you along the process or maybe make you enjoy it more. Yeah, that, that's an excellent question. Uh, I would say the number one thing to remember. So, okay, so I'll split this up. I'll give you one for getting good at it, just kind of off the hop. And then I'll give you a couple for enjoying it. So sure. the one I would say that is good to get good right off the hop is to do as much research as you can, find out as much information as you can. Uh, even if you don't know anything about the NFL, that's where everyone started at one point. Everyone started from ground zero, right? So um, as long as you just kind of look up anything from fantasy football article to research to picking up a copy of any new books that come out or <laughs> plugging myself um, uh, just do as much information, uh, do as much research and information gathering as you can, and you'll be right in there with everyone else. Um, in order to enjoy yourself, uh, I think that the main thing to remember is that no matter what happens in the fantasy season, you're there to have fun and you're probably playing with colleagues or family members or friends. And so the number one thing that you want to do is to just keep those relationships and do everything that you can while you're still trying to win to maintain healthy relationships with those people. Um, because the last thing that you need is for it to be a source of aggravation between you and, and people you're close with. Uh, so keep that kind of keep that, I would say at the back of your mind. Uh, and if it's a new league, I would say the number one thing you can do is write out a new constitution right at the beginning of the league, a whole new set of rules. And at that point, if everyone has agreed on it, everyone signs off on it, just kind of let everyone go. And if there's anything that happens that people find egregious, whether it's waivers or it's trades or anything else, you can just add it to the rules for next year. 
or if it's that crazy, you can add it even in a week, right? But um, as long as everyone knows what the rules are and they know that everyone is playing by the same rules, then uh, I think it'll make for a much more harmonious situation uh, and, and we'll let everyone play evenly. So yeah, just create those league rules, have everyone sign it, have everyone read it, and then just let everyone go off and do their own thing and let them try to win basically on their own and don't try to argue people every single second because they do something <laughs> that you don't like. Uh, I oh, The Constitution hits a couple nails on the head. Hey, Armin, that's at St. Mary Football, Fantasy mm-hmm. Football League. Maybe well, that's a story for another time. But um, no, I, I appreciate the time you took, obviously, for this episode. I know we're going to have you on for a part two of this here. So we're looking forward to that part to pick your mind a little bit more about maybe just coming this upcoming season of fantasy football. But I think that'll kind of do it for the interview in this and this portion of the episode. And, and just a friendly reminder to you guys at home, if you want to get your own copy of this book and kind of understand a little bit what we're talking about. Uh, he mentioned you'll be able to find it if you're in the Winnipeg areas and Winnipeg bookstores, but also it's on Amazon. Now, uh, if you think, you know, fantasy football, think again, uh, so get yourself your copy of that book. But um, I guess on behalf of myself, Zach and Armin and through six fantasy football podcast, thank you for jumping on this one, Noah, and can't wait to, t- to pick your brain uh, about some, maybe this upcoming season. So thank you very much. And I guess for all of you at home, stay tuned and, uh, and be ready for that one. So I'll do it for episode 55 and uh, stay tuned for part two of episode 56.